I have a dream to make movement practice universally understandable and accessible to anybody in the world and even understandable to those who are outside of the culture. I've started with the podcast featuring conversations that I have with teachers and practitioners who are in this community. I've learned so much from these conversations and really connected with people, both the listeners and the people that I've got on the podcast, and that's been a real joy. And so I want to pay that forward. I want to help listeners to this podcast also connect with other listeners and with teachers who I have on the podcast. So I'm really pleased to announce the opening of the Active Hang. The Active Hang is an online discussion board or a forum, a space for thoughtful and critical discussion on movement practice. You have a question? You want to meet the others? Jump on the Active Hang, say hello, ask your question and connect. My dream for the Active Hang is that it can become an asset to the community, a knowledge bank, a resource, one where people come and contribute. Where can you find it? It's on the passivehang.com. It's free to sign up. Come in and say hello. Once more again, you can access it at thepassivehang.com. Episode 43 of The Passive Hang. Today, we welcome Neil Tiesner onto the podcast, who is a movement teacher normally residing in Germany, but currently in Portugal. Neil is exploring in his practice and sharing a lot of content around this concept of finding flow. And I was keen to get him on the podcast so that he could share deeper into his perspective. We cover many other areas, including chaos in practice. So I know that you guys are really going to enjoy this one. We're going to get started now. I'll see you in the episode. All right. So thanks guys for joining me once again. It's another episode of The Passive Hang. It's Fayon here and we're up to episode 43 and I've got Neil Tiesner on the podcast. Really happy to connect with Neil. I've been following actually your work for a while. I'm not sure how I came across it, whether it was on YouTube or Instagram or through other sort of people. But obviously when I came across it, I saw there was some special qualities, I think, to your movement, which attracted my eye. So I started looking more into it. And so I'm really glad that you've responded to my message and we get to connect today so that I can find out a little bit more behind the movement, the man himself. So welcome to the show, Neil. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. So we were just chatting before the podcast started about how you're in Portugal at the moment. You've escaped Germany in the harsh winter there for more sunnier terrain. So why Portugal? What sort of led you to that place? Um, basically, I've been here already, I think, five times or even six times. So I know this place uh, and I know the beauty of this place. And then also the biggest factor is the, the mild winter. So this is basically the main reason. And then also, obviously, because of the whole COVID situation, Portugal was still the, a, a country where it was relatively allowed and easy to travel to. Mm -hmm. So this made it a very easy decision for me to come here then. And where do you normally reside? Uh, in Munich, in Germany, southern Germany. Okay, so this, this is, is place, yeah. quite, a, quite a big change. You said that you're in quite a small village, ocean, in Portugal? Yeah. I, it's a super small village. I'm basically directly at the ocean. Uh, not many people living here, so with the whole regulations, it's it's super easy. Um, and it's a it's not even a town. It's a very small village, so it's it's quite different than Munich. It's super nice living here. Yeah. So, what does a typical day sort of look like at the moment? Um, 
yeah it's uh depends also on the weather <laughs> this is basically the whole uh the way i structure it but i tend to to wake up then i have my terrace outside so i either go on the terrace to some some light movement i don't know drink a coffee in the sun read something or go to the ocean have a little swim and then if i feel inspired to do some work then i i usually start working and I'm in a creative bubble here right now, so I, I can really work for hours and I have plenty of projects, things to work on. So this is like, this is one part of the day. Sometimes it will uh, directly continue mm -hmm. all uh, into the evening. And then also the, the practice, obviously, I have the, the skateboarding that I can do here, my acrobatics and everything. So I, I really go with the flow here. It really yeah. sounds like you're in a lovely place. And mm. I'm interested to hear about how you're saying you know, if the inspiration sparks that you get started on your work. So with these projects, maybe could you share what's one project that's really exciting you at the moment? Mm. So basically, I've been doing the whole online work, right, with the courses and the online coaching and everything. Um, and I, I really like this type of work and the online work. And it's I, I try to make it a constant effort to to keep improving the whole like frameworks in which I work. So right now, I feel super inspired to really make the especially the coaching um something that, that that really gives value and with a lot of potential to really intimately work with my students mm. so i'm feeling super inspired to really keep digging and building things that this whole thing is just super enjoyable yeah how do you find the online coaching because i'm guessing you also teach people in person as well so online has its challenges as well do you enjoy the medium if so how have you made the medium work for you mm, um generally i do enjoy it there were actually some phases because i've been doing the online work i think for five years or something now and there definitely were phases where i didn't resonate resonate with it anymore and then i needed to change certain things in general i like it a lot um obviously it's very different than the online work and it's, it's not even comparable and uh, also different intention i would say um but in general it's uh, it's a it's a very nice medium and for me what i i really try to do is uh, get super personal and intimate relationships in the online work so skyping or zooming or whatever so that we that we actually have a connection there and that it's not just a uh yeah an online thing that you can buy or whatever so this is super important for me um yeah yeah i think the relationship is what drives a lot of even in person right because you get to see that person most likely regularly as well and that helps build that relationship and i think the online platform is really interesting because i mean do you you don't run the session together right will you, you'll give them sort of this piece of homework or this phase and then they go off and and train that is that how it works yeah exactly so they they receive a program or a structure um it is a very dynamic or kind of loose structure also depending with whom i work with some people need a little bit more but generally i try to from the start tell the people that this is just a kind of a frame a setting uh, that they can explore and then also they're super free to also explore different parts of the practice. For example, sometimes you, you surely know this for yourself. If you start a practice and you do not feel super inspired or on the contrary, all of a sudden you do something and then you have so many ideas. I want my students to be able to then go after these ideas and basically build an, an own practicing mindset. So this is, um, 
this is part of it. But yeah, they, they receive a structure and then they practice for themselves. Then the typical stuff they send in videos, get feedback. We have also Zoom calls, usually not where we then directly train. Um, maybe sometimes there are questions and then we, we do train a little bit, but this is not usually the way I do it. Hmm. Yeah. So maybe this is a good time to cut across to how you describe your teaching. Like I went across onto your website. It's quite interesting. I recommend that to any of the listeners here to check it out as well. But do you say you're a teacher, a teacher of what? <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting question. And I think it also is quite dependent with whom I work with. And I also try to make it a point for me personally that, um, that it's quite a dynamic thing. So obviously I, I'm very interested in teaching physical skills. Right now it's been based mostly around the acrobatics and floor kind of thing, the finding flow or what I call finding flow stuff. Um, and it's super interesting, obviously, uh, teaching physical skills. Um, this is one, one aspect. And the other aspect, I, I try to help people um, practicing so they can actually get a body that is, uh, that, that is super nice for well-being, that they feel healthy. So there's also like the teacher me that tries to facilitate health in a way. And then there's also part of a teacher in me that tries to, to make people or students reflect about their whole practice. So there's different like characters in my own teaching, I would say. Um, you could say it's a holistic approach, whatever that will mean, but it's, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, this is how I would frame it. I like that, how you said, it's balanced off with this kind of health aspect as well, because, you know, if you just orientated directly just to the skill portion as well, I'm sure you could reach a point where there's those negative returns, right? Where you commit or you attach to it so much that in mind and in body as well, it kind of starts working against you or that's maybe start starting to be the only things that you're only recognizing that you can do. So I like this approach, which sounds a little bit more, more broader with um this topic that you're mentioning which is like the floor work and the acrobatics so how did you start with all all of it how did you start with your practice were you always interested in these areas or has this been something that's come on more recently well so uh physical practices i started super 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 early like as a kid being outside playing around and then very early picking up a skateboard so this was my first proper practice i would say that lasted for about seven years and where i just practiced skateboarding uh, which is a very rich practice so it's um, it was a very good start and then from there i really took off into so many different areas i think like six or seven years i I've gone from regular type of uh, fitness strength work to um, two or three years heavily into CrossFit from there into gymnastics, bouldering. So really opening up my practice and um, towards the last year of this open generalized phase, I would call it. Um, I actually saw a video of my, of my teacher, Tom Wexler, and uh, it was super interesting and nice because the way he moved and could express himself with those movements. It reminded me so much of my skateboarding days and the freedom I got mm. from, from my skateboarding. So I really resonated at first sight and then I knew, okay, this is something I, I need to get involved in. And this was around, I think, six years ago or something. And then I, from there, it basically started developing more into this area. 
So letting go bit by bit of my general approach of movement. And now I'm relatively specialized, if you could say, in the, the kind of acrobatic stance flow work practice. It is also a very general practice, and I try to keep the general approach in this specific practice, but this is sort of the, the shift. So for the last, I would say, five years or something, I've been practicing more and more and more um, in this area. Amazing. And I do have to also appreciate Tom's quality of movement. You know, when you see videos like that, there's just another ethereal quality about it, right? You can just recognize it. It's so nice to watch. So it's really interesting to hear how you've been working with him for so long. Going back to that point where you said that you kind of started going to a more open type of form, what caused that shift when you kind of not only was doing the skateboarding, but then you started becoming interested in all these other areas? Was that due to a certain event or a certain person? You mean when I went from the skateboarding then to the more open thing? Yeah. yeah. Um, basically, it's I would say my whole character is like this. I am super interested in many different areas right now i could also here is the surfing then there is the skateboarding and then we have some bouldering spots so i could every day i could go here and there so this is really part of my nature mm -hmm. um and then also some personalities for example some some trainers or teachers of mine in the crossfit time um, also like really kind of sparked this approach or sparked this little frame flame inside me a little bit more because CrossFit, as you might know, is also, or they claim to be quite a broad uh, concept. So already practicing this then helped me to develop a, a broader sense. And then also uh, people like Ido Portal obviously um, also inspired me to, to even go, to go more into this kind of explorative mindset of seeing the, the whole that is out there. Yeah. yeah. And when you were at that stage, were you seeing everything as interrelated and one of the same or was it kind of like different areas? Like you mentioned, sometimes you do the surfing, sometimes you do the skating and sometimes you do the climbing. I mean, definitely everything is in a way interconnected and you can certainly apply some things from one discipline into many others and obviously there is the connection and this is one super important part or interesting part that i think also many people um are, are getting out there or practicing out there but then there is also the differences which is equally as interesting and important that just because you can do one thing or have one quality in one practice doesn't mean anything in another practice maybe and this is super super interesting so seeing the the bridges or building bridges between disciplines is very nice and interesting, but then also seeing the, the, the true characteristics of one discipline. For example, also the, the different cultures um, or styles or whatever in, in certain disciplines is very interesting. Yeah. I think that's what I really enjoy when I jump across from one to the other, especially when you start connecting with that culture, with the people around it as well. That's for me, what makes it, so really attractive to broaden this this practice just meeting all these people learning experiencing that it it becomes very rich um and so you said that after a while then the acrobatics the flow the flow work started to interest you why was this particular area interesting for you um basically i can only say that um as with many things that i think inspire us naturally um you you can't really 
explain what it is. And I think this is a nice part of it. I saw it, somebody was doing it, and I could feel in this moment that I feel super connected to the whole practice. Um, and then later on, while practicing, I certainly found certain qualities that that made me think, ah, this is maybe because I really like it so much. But in the end, um, I do not care why it is exactly that I like it so much, but it sparked something inside of me, something that is truly me and uh, me personally. And this is also something then in my whole practice and in my whole uh, teaching philosophy is, is, is one key element to help people also find this true authentic thing inside of them that they really want to do so this mm. is right now at least uh the whole practice of moving across the space uh playing with gravity playing with the floor playing with chaos and um and all of that it sounds really beautiful and i wanted to ask as to your actual practice right now what might that actually look like mm. so Let's see. Um, basically, I, I view it as a um, multi-layered practice, obviously. So from the outside, or if you see a video of me moving, you could say, yeah, this is like a mix of maybe uh, dance and acrobatics or something like this. But then obviously, if you dive deeper, there is different layers to it and different intentions towards a practice and everything. So um, I have many different things that I'm practicing right now. Um, for example, I'm, I'm very interested in, let's say, acrobatics. Um, there is many different forms and styles of acrobatics, actually. Um, but this is something that is, that is fascinating to me. So this is one part of the practice. Some day, days I just feel inspired to practice, I don't know, some macaco variations or work on some aerial acrobatics or work on some kicking. And there you can already see there is like acrobatics with different layers and mm -hmm. different aspects. And then there is the, for example, the, um, the improv practice. I really like the setting of improvising. And it is, a, it is a beautiful and super, super broad practice with so many possibilities and everything. And this is also one practice that sometimes I feel very inspired to, to go into this practice and let go of the acrobatics and focus on different qualities, whatever it is that I'm practicing now in this improv setting. Sometimes I, I really feel like dancing. And then I put on some music and I just go for it without having the, the idea of practicing, but I just dance. Um, and then sometimes it's a mix of, it's a mix of all of them. So it's a, really, it's, it's super broad. And um, I go with, with what feels right at the moment. Or for example, I set myself project that I, I want to learn certain things or certain qualities. And then I, within the next sessions, I, I try to practice them. Mm. And do you spend time on building attributes such as whether it be, you know, the common ones like strength and mobility, or is it mostly focused within like, say these contexts or containers? Um, so the thing is uh, with strength and mobility, I have a, a huge base. Basically I've been doing strength training in my past for about eight years, different styles from CrossFit to gymnastics, bouldering, sort of all of that. Um, so basically the base that I have with strength is, is quite high. I was stronger when I really practiced um, and I was quite strong. And right now I'm not that strong anymore, but I do not need this general approach of strength anymore. Uh, what I need though is uh, the specific strength for my own practice. So if I'm going deeper into the acrobatics, 
general strength will not bring me far. So I need really this very specific strength. So this is something that I, I do work on, um, but it doesn't look like a regular strength practice. Mm. So and then what, also... I was, hmm? uh, what, what might that look like, like that the specific strength context? Or I mean... How, did, how would um, you... Yeah, it's basically, if you look at a, a certain movement, let's say the macaco, there is certain things that you a certain type of strength that you need a more specific strength and kind of an organic strength that you can use, use in motion. And then I would look for drills um, or simply make up drills that really help me with this specific uh, position. And then I view it as conditioning. And then for example, after a session, then I simply do for, I don't know, five or 10 minutes. I, I work in this, um, in this way then. Mm. Yeah, and the same is, by the way, also with mobility. Uh, since my 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 base is quite uh, quite strong with mobility, because I've also practiced this for a lot of uh, many many years. Um, I didn't start being super flexible. Uh, also, took me many years to to work. And right now, I do have this mobility that I can use. Hmm. But then again, I I don't have the specific mobility, which is then specific to a certain practice. Hmm. Yeah. And so maybe with your approach when you pass your teachings on to other people do you recommend an approach where it comes from dealing with you know this base of capacity first before moving on to this sort of stuff or do you approach it differently maybe with your students yeah um depends on the student so for example if there is a student who really already has practiced for many years different disciplines and has a base then obviously we do not need to spend so much time uh, with, with general capacity and we can specialize a little bit first. Other students, they're quite at their beginning of their movement journey. So there we definitely try to, to make sure that the body is, is feeling supple and everything and is stable. Um, but then in general, uh, something to keep in mind is also that by practicing um, a certain discipline, for example, acrobatics, by doing that alone, you also get stronger and more mobile. And this is something that is, I think is super important to keep in mind because many people out there do have this mindset of kind of there is the general capacity of strength and mobility and then you can practice. And I think both goes hand in hand and you can do it absolutely fine the other way around. I've been involved in many um, practices, for example, skateboarding, where strength does not play a role at all. So the people practice skateboarding and by practicing skateboarding, they do get the leg strength they need and they have super strong legs and the mobility they need. So this is something to keep in mind too. Yeah, we work dynamic and organic in a mm. way. It reminds me of the capoeira class that I'm currently in and a lot of the guys there, you know, their whole practice is pretty much just coming to class and you can see them with all the dynamic tricks that they do. They can do everything. And I don't think they spend that much time on all this other stuff, you know, handstand push-ups or, or whatever, but mm. I've seen a couple of them. They have the strength to do that as well. Yeah. Um, one thing maybe to add here, which is super interesting is that, um, for example, me, because of the whole idea that I had when moving in a very general way of hand balance and handstand push-ups and ring training and bouldering, uh, weighted trainings, all of this is certain ideas that are in the culture right now that you not have to do, but that are super important. So people simply do it. Mm. And then for 
me, after doing this for many years, then I had quite a, a strong body. When I then went to the acrobatics practice, I even had too much strength. So many of the things that I wanted to do technically, I couldn't because my body simply wouldn't allow me. And I remember this moment. It was like maybe four years ago or something um, at a workshop with Tom also. He told me like, man, your legs are so strong. You can't really use them properly or something like this. And I was like, fuck, yes, you're right. So then it made me think like, mm. I, I want to practice this way. I want to dive deep into this practice. So maybe it is very much needed to let go of the idea of being this versatile um, all-rounder. You know what I mean? Mm. Super interesting that um, we don't need the strength. It's nice to have, but we don't, we don't need it. But I think sometimes it kind of hurts a little bit when you initially have to let go of something that maybe you've worked so hard to get right? I can imagine, I don't know, how was it for you when, you know, you came to that realization and then maybe you had to stop doing part of that practice, which made you feel strong? Mm. I mean, to be honest, I think this is the practice of life itself, hey, to, mm. to let go of things. It's a constant thing. Now, specifically in the physical realm, um, if, you, if you clinch too much to those projects or to those attribu attributes, then definitely it feels hard to let go uh, and i definitely have this still in me for example the whole idea of having a strong and also a strong body and also a body with a little bit of more muscle this has been an image of mine for since i was i don't know 12 years old or something like this so being able to let go of this whole image and this whole attribute of the strength and everything is still now it's not easy because it's so deeply in, ingrained into my whole mm -hmm. being um, but then also like some for th some things like the strength training, I could, for example, do one arm chin ups and everything like this right now, when I would hang with one arm on the ring, I couldn't pull myself up one centimeter and I'm completely content with that and fine with that because I've come to the realization that it's not needed, mm. that this is not something that I, I define myself with being able to do a one arm chin up. It was nice back then. Right now, I, I, I really do not care. Um, so it's really about if you find something that is truly authentic to yourself, then it's quite easy to let go of other things that were authentic to you maybe in the past. Mm. Um, and then for example, also with one student, I had this project because she was so obsessed with her strength, but she wanted to move on and she couldn't let go that we actually, or I actually told her, look, I want you to now practice letting go. So over the next weeks, we practiced juggling. And then just at the moment when she was able to juggle, I said to her, and now you stop. And you do not continue. And it was so hard for her, but it's a very nice practice. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Just as you just get competent, when you're just finding that feeling to let go, I can see myself also really struggling with that task. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Personally, also, I mean, obviously, for example, I had, I had certain moves in the past that were my standard thing. I didn't even have to warm up to do them, uh, like handstand push-ups and all of that. And right now, really, there is, it's not there anymore. Obviously, I could practice and it wouldn't take me long to get it again. But I'm so content with the, the whole feeling um, because I've also been practicing the, the whole idea of letting go. Um, mm. It's a very interesting thing, yeah. 
That sounds like a really important practice. I think just as we evolve and move on and even get older, right? You know, the body changes over time as well. So it's probably important just to recognize that shift and to let go of maybe some of these goals, which might stop serving you as time goes on. But I wanted to ask one more question about your practice, which was about organization. Like you said, you kind of had it in these areas sometimes, like you might want to do a bit of acrobatics or, or, or whatever. Do you kind of sit down on this you know, big piece of paper and write down, hey, this is how I'm going to approach acrobatics with these type of skills or these qualities and this is the methodology to, to get there or how does that work? So, uh, in general, I would say that I am not a person who really needs a lot of structure. I can work with very loose frameworks. That being said, obviously, because of the many years of teaching and then also practicing different, different kind of things in different ways, also with training plans, CrossFit times, huge, uh, huge with the training plan and everything. I do have all of this knowledge inside of me unconsciously. So if I now practice something, I don't do random stuff, but I also have this whole framework in my head somewhere that I can orientate myself um, with. And now specifically with the acrobatics, because there is so many different things, I am not sitting there on a piece of paper and say like, I've now done six repetitions and I go on and everything like this, but it's a very loose and intuitive approach, I would say. Um, I do have certain things in my head that I want to work on, and then I simply practice, um, mm. and it could take many different forms. And I basically learned this approach also in skateboarding. Skateboarding does not really work with training plans and everything. People really go there, and they just do. And it's, for example, here it's super interesting. Oftentimes, I now ask skaters in the parks or whatever on the streets, how do you practice? And they have no clue. They really say, I don't know, I skate. And they are super good. So it, it must work for them. So this is something that I, I think is deeply part of my nature, being able to practice quite um, intuitively in a way. Um, but then obviously it's also part because that I, I've been practicing with programs. For example, with mm -hmm. Tom, I've been doing this one year online um, program work and there was a program and there is then also certain sets and repetitions that act as a framework. So then in this period, I... I really also practice in this way then. Uh, that's interesting because I was going to ask you about this consistency that's sometimes required to cause that adaptation over time so that you become competent or stronger or whatever to achieve that movement. And so I was wondering, you know, there must be at least some sort of structure so you keep on returning to a similar thing so that over time that becomes uh, your, your ability to do the thing. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I can only say, I think, or what is important here is that if you practice something with the years, you keep practicing, you also get better at practicing and you find your own way of practicing that works for you. And since I've been practicing for all of the disciplines, like for well over, I don't know, 18 years or something like this, maybe. I kind of know how I practice and how to reach certain goals without actually writing programs. So it's now it's, it's part of my nature. Um, so for example, if I want to learn a, a new trick or something, I automatic, automatically know 
kind of how to structure my practice intuitively in a way that I reach this goal. That being said, there is also the, the part of like discipline or regularly coming back to this thing. So sometimes you know this, maybe you have certain things in your head that you want to practice and then you simply do not do them, but you still have the, the idea in your head that you want to do it. So time passes and you still can't do it. So obviously there needs to be a, uh, a way to, yeah, to, to find continuity in the practice. Um, and this is, this is also something to practice, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so you've mentioned your teacher a couple of times, Tom. Um, what's been personally for you, maybe some of the most impactful lessons that you've gained from his teaching? <laughs> Oof, that's, a, that's a good question because there's been many lessons. Um, I think so when I am working with him or the other way around or whatever, um, I think the the biggest thing for me is that he really, he practices what he, what he teaches and he is super authentic in the way that he practices. Um, and this is the, the, the biggest thing for me, the whole idea working with Tom, he's a super good teacher and I really like his approach and it, it fits me super, super nicely. But I think the biggest thing is that if I see him moving or teaching or every, everything that I'm just like in awe because this is so much himself. And I think this is the biggest thing that I got out of the whole process, finding something that I am and, and really connecting to this more and more and more. Um, and then also, for example, he's super dedicated. He's super detailed in his approach. And this is something that is super inspiring for me. So it's more the, these general ideas, I think, that are inspiring for me rather than certain ideas, specific ideas in his teaching. There are definitely many of them, um, and one of them I can share. Um, for example, he uses the term acrobatics not as in a set of movements, so macaco, cartwheel, roll. He uses the term acrobatics in a way um, that an acrobatic move is a move that is scary to you and that you need to overcome certain fears and and push a little bit this is an acrobatic move so for him a macaco is not acrobatic at all because he's been doing this for i don't know 20 years or something like this so it's not an acrobatic move anymore um, and this is a very nice idea to keep in head that for him acrobatics really means pushing one's own boundaries mm. and i think this is also a, a nice message um in the specific teaching yeah, this is really interesting using this emotive layer as the guide or the orientation of where you need to head. I know for me as well, lately, I've been leaning more and more into this area because I find it super interesting, but also that feeling after you start getting more towards that boundary and then you cross it is unlike anything as compared to maybe working up to the first muscle up like there that that's more of just, you know, you're working really hard and you're trying to go through this process and the feeling is really great when you get it, but somehow there's a different quality there versus say for the first time going over backwards in a macaca, which for me was like, yeah, super, super scary. Right. The first time I was doing it. Um, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe you, you can describe it, but yeah, there's, there's definitely something else going there whenever you, play with that emotive layer mm. uh, to be honest i think also here 
and I just work like this. Whenever I have some, something in my practice, I try to relate it to my life. So, for example, pushing certain boundaries in acrobatics or also and especially in skateboarding for me, where there is fear involved and you need to have a little bit more confidence and step out of your confident, uh, comfort zone, how you say. This is also how you approach certain challenges in life, I think. And it's a very, very um, similar sensation in a way. Um, so whenever I try to go for something that I'm really scared of um, and then managing to do it and finding ways to do it, it feels amazing because then you've kind of challenged yourself in a positive way um, and, it's, and it's awesome. And then you also, by doing this, learn your own boundaries and respect your own boundaries. So sometimes you maybe push too far and you maybe even hurt yourself a little bit. And this is something... To, to reflect on and to remember, but I definitely do love this feeling. And this is also a, um, being able to, to cross one's own boundaries and learning to fall in everything, something that I, I hold deeply in my teaching philosophy and also in my whole life, um, constantly trying to, to knock on this uh, door at the, the comfort zone and see what is on the other side. Yeah, how do you manage risk? You know, when you're on that boundary, sometimes it's because maybe it's a, a real thing, right? Like there is some level of danger that is there. So how do you manage and guide people in the perception of risk, danger, that sort of thing? Yeah. So number one is obviously preparation of the body. Now let's talk physical skills here. So number one is the preparation of body. Um, so for example, let's say an acrobatic moves, um, if you do a macaco and you go backwards and you do not have a certain conditioning in your shoulder and wrists, the, the strength and mobility needed and uh, perception, then obviously it's quite, quite hard and also very scary to go somewhere. So this is number one to teach people that they are mobile, that they are strong and then that, that their body can handle this. And this is also a narrative that I truly keep in my head. My body is super strong. Uh, and can handle a lot it can't handle everything but it can handle a lot if you look at mma fighters you can see the body is it's you can throw it on the floor and whatever and this is something super important to keep in mind so this is number one um, teaching people their body is capable of that and then number two is finding individual ways um, to tackle this fear for example in acrobatics i make it a huge point to learn how to fall um, it's an in interesting topic and it's not a very easy approach or like an easy task, I would say, but being able to simply hit the floor and knowing that your body can take it, that you can roll out of it and finding different strategies that could help you fall out of a move. And then if you have this knowledge combined with the knowledge of your body is strong, then you can already open up yourself a little bit more for, for certain ideas. And then the third thing is obviously it's time and patience. Many things are so deeply rooted in ourselves, the fear of going there, that it simply takes time um, and we, we need to be patient. Sometimes we need to also cross those boundaries and simply do. And sometimes it really does not work like that. So this would be one, um, one approach. And then maybe one last thing is also then um, in retrospect, if you've managed to do something, to directly reflect on yeah, that was quite all right. It was, in the end, not at all too scary. And then if you keep doing this over and over and over again, then you s start to develop this mindset or this narrative of 
in the end, it won't be too hard. So if you have this already in your mind, then it's even easier. It won't ever get, get super easy, I think. There will always be this hurdle, which is, which is cool and fine, um, but it will get easier. I find it really interesting, this second point, learning to fall. And maybe this is a great segue to start going deeper into the concepts, um, especially the ones that I've read, been reading on your website with the ones that you like to teach. And I did read that you have some material, some courses as well, seminars about learning to fall. So how do you approach this topic? Mm -hmm. So um, I, firstly, I do not teach full seminars on learning to fall, but it's part of the, um, the finding flow seminars. And then one of the key elements because I've been really thinking about this whole topic a lot and being involved in many different chaotic practices I've also taken many falls uh, and one of the key element or um, take-home message is that falling is not falling falling in skateboarding is not falling in acrobatics is not falling in martial arts every discipline obviously has its own type of falls mm. and you need to prepare differently for all types of different falls I think generally you could argue, um, this is maybe a, I haven't reflected on this too much, but you could argue that some people tend to, to fall easier uh, than others. And I do not know why, but this is something to maybe uh, dive deeper in. But key take home message number one is every discipline has own faults. So you, you need to be aware of that. And then, um, for example, in the acrobatics, just like I said before, it's really about um, the whole steps of making your body comfortable hitting the ground. So knowing how to spread weight across your surface so that you, for example, do not hit the floor only with your wrist, but then with your whole arm so that you spread the weight. Um, and then I also, if I teach falling, I, I have three different steps to, to falling. Number one is what happens before a fall then what happens while falling and what happens after the fall or while hitting the ground. So what happens before a fall um, is mostly related to balance and off balance and being able to maybe, um, if you go off balance, to use your feet or your arms to stay in balance again. So this is number, number one. And many drills that I teach there or use there um, to make people aware of there is a moment before the fall and what can we do there? And then there is also the moment of falling. And it's very, very, very interesting. I use many different drills here, partner drills, um, because you can't practice falling by yourself. <laughs> um, you need a chaotic situation there that some people will push you and you, you notice this, the, the sensation of falling. And you notice when you're midair and you, your whole body goes like, <gasps> stuff like this and if you've never fallen before if you never took a fall because you've never been involved in any chaotic uh, discipline then this will scare you this will scare the shit out of you because you do not know what is going on um, so making people comfortable with the sensation of falling is super nice and then there in this aspect there comes in the theory of um, maybe you know it maybe you've done a i don't have you done a can you do a backflip no, I can't do a backflip. Okay, or let's say a macaco. Yeah, macaco I, I can do. So I've been practicing that all the last year. That was my big project. Okay, nice. Basically, the first time you did a macaco and you really committed going backwards, 
I imagine it happened like super quick and you did not know what happened. Simply go there and then you stand and you're like, what, what is going on? And then after you practice it, then time seems to elongate a little bit. And then you are more aware of the little time zones in this macaco. Whatever. Yeah. So this is something that I try to do also in the learning how to fall is make people aware of that at first it happens super quick. And then after a while, time seems to slow down and then you're more aware of where you are midair. And then it's the third stage of hitting the floor. And what can you do when you hit the floor? Uh, a little less impactful and having more options. So this is like the, the three stages um, I use in my falling, learning how to fall mythology. And so do you like to teach this before you go into acrobatic elements, sort of, you know, with handstands, sometimes people like to teach like the cartwheel or learning how to bail out of the handstand before really going into that freestanding. So do you take a similar approach with when you're approaching a new element, you find ways of how to fall out of that element before progressing with that element? Yeah. Um, so for example, in workshops, I do like to, to, to use those falling, falling drills before because then your body is already a little bit more in this let's go mindset and um, a little bit more aware of the surroundings. Um, so in workshops, I do teach it before. And then when working with students online, for example, it's like it goes hand in hand. Um, we work on acrobatics and then sometimes we work on the falling mechanisms and everything. But so, definitely it's, it's super nice before you are doing something that is super scary for you to, to, to get in the right mood. And falling drills could help there, yeah. I like how you use a partner to really replicate the true feeling of, of falling because I've done some break falling where you just kind of self-initiated, you, you fall over backwards, but it's very different if someone then walks in front of you, then gives you a shove, right? That's like really something out of your control. And you mentioned this before, this thing about chaos. So yeah, maybe can you speak a little bit more about the role of chaos within practice and how you like to utilize it? Mm. Um, I think so for some practices, chaos will be there. So you need to get used to this chaos. Um, and therefore you need to practice it simple as that. For example, in, in skateboarding, uh, there is chaos. So you need to, you need to get used to it. And then in general, why I think that chaos could be, nice. um, so I've been also using those falling drills, um, in seminars, which were not about finding flow. So simply teaching let's say um, people that are just interested in moving their bodies, how to fall or like um, using chaotic drills. And I think it's, it's super important. For example, specific uh, example would be an elderly people being able to fall, um, being able to keep your reflexes. So I, th I think as a human being um, also living in our uh, modern society, it is quite important to have certain reflexes and, you are able or can be able to adapt to certain chaotic situations. So I think it is, um, yeah, it's, it's quite important. And then on a different scale, I think it's also something super nice to, as a reflective practice, if you are in a chaotic situation, um, then to see how your body is reacting and what kind of fears come up. And I think this is something for me personally, absolutely interesting. Why do I have the fear of falling? Is there any other fear connected to this fear of falling? Um, so you could really use those chaotic situations also as a mean to, to reflect about your, 
about yourself. For example, I also, because I, I was teaching handstands for quite a while and also teaching handstand seminars, and there was this, um, this nice situation. There was a daughter, a little kid, with her mother at the seminar, and we were practicing some cartwheels and falling out of a handstand, uh, like the falling school, just before the handstand. And um, the mother was holding the kid, and we were basically doing this drill where you try to bring the other person off balance and then you let go. So the person has to twist out and get the feeling for falling. And the mother didn't really give her uh, daughter the opportunity to fall because she was super scared. Um, and she basically, basically couldn't do the drill. And the daughter was like, I'm not really falling at all. So what's going on there? And this was a super nice moment for the mother to realize, oh, there is something more going on. And then she really sat there in quiet and needed some time to think and i did then the drills with the daughter so there's there's stuff that comes up if you if you are in chaotic situations and fear is it's a huge topic obviously so it's nice to reflect on it yeah mm, that's a really really nice example um you mentioned this concept of finding flow a, a few times now what do you mean by flow and maybe if you could expand on it, why is it something that you find worth finding or searching for? <laughs> so um, I think it's more about finding and not searching for. I think you do not search for flow uh, or, or when searching for flow, you won't find it. I think this is also why it's called finding flow. It's something that all of a sudden is there. And with practice uh, and time going on, you maybe find more ways to, to make it happen. But basically the whole idea um, in the way that I use it is based off the psychological uh, term of flow um, that was made popular by Csikszentmihalyi. Maybe this is not the way you pronounce his name, <laughs> but I think at least. And it basically refers to this sensation of, of being in the moment with your whole being and simply giving up everything and being in this this task and uh, this amazing feeling where time either seems to be super fast or slow down completely and you just feel amazing and uh, at peace i would say and then there's also the aspect that you simply do this stuff without a certain um a certain purpose you just let go and, and and do this stuff and this is basically where the term flow originated from in the finding flow so um yeah the finding flow practice is in general a practice of um, of finding something that that sparks this joy in you and finding certain ways that help you uh, find the state which is super enjoyable. Mm. And do you find specifically for these type of practices such as the floor work, locomotion, acrobatics, to really be quite quite a good match for finding that that flow? Um, in a way, yes. I mean, theoretically, you can find flow everywhere. And Csikszentmihalyi uses in his book a very nice example of, uh, for example, if you plan a robbery with, uh, with your friends, then you can also go in the act of, of planning a robbery. And when everything works and you, you just the money and hop in the car and whatever, you can also find flow there. Uh, so finding for flow is not necessarily only a positive thing. It's just a state that you can find everywhere. But in the specific work of uh, working with certain um, acrobatics and using momentum 
um, in a very specific way, it really could help to get the sensation of flow. And especially with momentum, when, when everything seems to, um, to link together and you do not need to put a lot of effort in there, then it seems that people with this practice or this kind of practice get the, the feeling for, oh yeah, it just, it just flows and it just continues, like rolling down a hill, um, you know? Yeah, mm. so I think, I think yes, but, um, but every other practice can also uh, get you into this feeling. So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into some of the concepts you write about on your website and you know, just even just going off from the, the menus that you, you put there, you've got these concepts such as know thy body, intuitive body, diving into the floor. Maybe we've kind of covered a little bit about that diving into the floor or maybe not, but you know, could you explain a little bit about these concepts? Yes. So number one, it's just names that um, I find useful. Uh, it's not a, a fixed thing. It's just a, a framework that I can experiment with, basically. So now thy body is basically, do you know the, um, the phrase know thyself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's basically the idea of being able to grasp your own being. And know thy body is basically this translated in a physical realm of your own body. So being aware of your own body and having a practice where you explore your own body and all the parts that link into it. So there's, there's health practices, for example. How do you react to certain stimuli and how can you move in such a way that you feel supple and simply have a very nice feeling in your body? Um, so this is the, the know thy body practice. Um, it's mostly about connecting to, to your own body, uh, sensing what is good for you, what is not good for you, and continuously um, refine this and also reflect this so this is the whole idea, basically, of, of Know Thy Body. And um, in Know Thy Body, for example, I use many um, breath work, meditative work. Then we have some mobility and strength work. So this is like different, different pillars of the Know Thy Body practice. Um, this is basically Know Thy Body. Then we have the intuitive body, which basically deals with the whole idea of chaotic situations and how you react to it. Um, and how intuitively your body can act in those situations. And, and this is, for example, then the, the whole idea or the research on learning how to fall. Very important here, I do not claim to have a mythology that, that you will make you fall like a, a, a champ or something. It's, a, it's an ongoing research and it tends, right now, after some years, it tends to really show positive results and people are actually finding better ways to to fall and uh, and falling simply a little nicer um but it's a it's a research basically and then there is the diving into the floor basically which is um basically the idea of you have the floor you have gravity and yourself and this this has so many options and potentials to move and express yourself creatively um and how you can basically play with the idea of diving into the floor standing back up again which is super interesting for me um, and then there, I make use of certain floor ideas, transitional ideas, acrobatic ideas, all of that. And once again, super important, I, I use those terms or concepts as just frameworks that I can experiment with. So um, there is no one approach or one thing that really makes up those, those concepts.
Mm. And how did these concepts or these frameworks, how did you develop them at what sort of stage, you know, in your mind, did it start coming to be and you're like, oh, it makes sense in this way? Um, for example, the know thy body, since I've been um, practicing like self-awareness and bodily awareness and health and all of this, or having this attention, intention or perspective in my mind for many, many years, um, it's a it's a long process that kind of led to the, the realization that I, I do have a certain approach towards this topic. And then I, I also had this name of know thyself and know thy body and I simply connected it. But there was no, I think, no time, specific time where I said, okay, this is now know thy body. It's an accumulation of all the knowledge that I, that I have in this field. Um, and after a while I thought, yeah, there is like a general scheme or it seems to be a general scheme to it. So this is what I try to then, um, also teach or show, um, in this regard. So I think it was for all of them. It's, um, my whole knowledge that I have sort of condensed, uh, or mm. at least trying to condense it in a way. Because I think these descriptions are quite interesting. Like, I'm not sure if I missed it, but you know, you don't advertise or just directly that or categorize that as a header going like you, I, I teach acrobatics or I teach floor work, you know, it comes floor work or acrobatics or these elements from there relate under these other topic areas, which you choose to categorize it, such as the intuitive body diving into the floor. So I'm guessing, you know, but was that done intentionally as well? Because that's where you want the focus on as opposed to, you know, the physical skill work itself. Um, maybe you can see it like this, but I would even argue that, uh, that these concepts basically, it actually, it's not the three concept concepts that I work with. It's just three that are a little bit more refined in a way. I have many other concepts that I'm working with that are not on the website, for example. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would say I teach, Here's what I want to teach, um, what I want to kind of express with my teaching. And then you could say it's concepts and with concepts, there's the, the specific ideas. So yes, like you were saying, I would not consider myself an acrobatic teacher. Um, relates back to what we, what we spoke, at, spoke at the beginning. Um, what I exactly teach um, is it's quite vague. And I think it's more about the whole process. Um, but then I, I really like, because I'm also practicing a certain discipline of, of acrobatics, I really like teaching this and using those, this container basically to put all my, my content of teaching in there, mm -hmm. which relates back to the, um, the idea of the multi-layered practice, that you have something, but within this practice, you can learn so much. Like you practice acrobatics, you not only practice acrobatics, you practice chaos you practice fear blah, blah 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 and in every practice you can like practice different things again mm. and you mentioned um suppleness or this quality of 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 being supple like what what do you mean by supple like do you have an idea in your mind of what it means to be supple um yes so basically one concept that plays a huge role here is um an idea that I've been, I've been influenced by Feldenkrais, for example. He had this idea, 
Um, if you, for example, you had this very nice um, idea of if you carry a, a case uh, and a fly will land on the suitcase, you you won't feel it obviously because the fly is super, super, uh, super, super light. So you need to be super aware and super sensitive and you try to reduce the intensity so that you can actually land. So this is one thing that um, that plays into the whole idea of suppleness, being ultra aware, trying to reduce the intensity and have this sensation of you can you can just feel things. So this is one one thing or one idea that plays into suppleness. And then also suppleness is very much connected to the feeling of um, that you carry some tension in your body, obviously, but not too much. No excessive tension and trying ways to find um, or finding ways to to reduce this this extra tension so that you can simply use your whole body in an organic way and move in all directions and have this freedom to express so this is what i what i connect to suppleness yeah i like this um how you describe it with the link between intensity and sensitivity and reminds me of the chat that i had with you know uh mutual friend flynn disney as well who yeah, yeah. who talks a yeah. lot about that about that um, principle he, he called it which i've been thinking about a lot recently and i think it makes a lot of sense nice. yeah i've been noticing it. even when i do something as a as a walk which then you know isn't so physically demanding or anything then you can really use these as opportunities to expand your scope of awareness right to take everything in if you choose to do so exactly yeah yeah it's been nice with flim because exactly here on this terrace he's been also in portugal uh I don't know, five weeks ago or something. And we had this talk because I read the books of Feldenkrais and he also did. And then we spoke about the idea and I was like, yeah, this is also something that I've been putting in my practice and everything. So we directly con connected and it was just here five meters away on this terrace. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he's big there and he's, do, he's doing super, super nice research and um, highly recommended checking Flynn out. Yeah, yeah. Um I wanted to ask about this role of improvisation within practice, you know, because this is something that I don't quite double in a lot. I think I do quite a lot of like integrated sequences, you know, breaking things up into different skills, movements, and then piecing them together. But in terms of like a actual improv practice, I haven't really gotten too much guidance or I haven't explored it that much. So how do you normally approach this topic of improvisation, perhaps when you guide students, you know, is this a necessary part of the practice you find, or is it just you give it to someone if they ask for it? Yes, I think improvisation or practicing improvisation is, can be quite important and is absolutely joyful. And in itself is basically, I like to put it like this, also a practice of life because in life we constantly improvise. And also, if you do not have a certain improvisation practice right now in your own practice, you improvise all the time. Also, when doing sequences, your foot lands there. So you need to improvise and shift the weight differently. So improvisation is there nevertheless. It's just about the choice of actively and consciously practicing improvisation or letting it happen by itself, basically. And I think like with many other things, for example, breathing, we all breathe all the time. So we do not need to practice it, but by practicing it and bringing our awareness to it, we find certain things. So also with improvisation, being aware of the process, maybe practicing improv itself, 
can be quite useful. Some people do not like it at all. Some people do feel very uncomfortable just moving in very open and free ways because maybe they're not used to it. For me, at least, I feel very, very, I, I love improvising because this is so much my nature of expressing myself in a very curious manner and being playful and explorative. Um, and then how I basically teach it or guide people towards it different ways. And I've used different approaches. One of them um, is quite simple. People work with me and they, they get a certain uh, set of moves or a movement language. For example, in the realm of finding flow, they have some, some floor moves and they have some lie acrobatics move and some ideas, uh, more abstract ideas on how to maybe link those moves. Um, and then they also get this, the setting next to like building sequences with those moves. I, I tell them, for example, look, now you use those moves in an open way. Sometimes they link up super nice, sometimes not. And while doing this, you explore uh, simply moving up and down. So this would be kind of the, the setting of or the frame of the improv. You move up and down in a continuous way. And then you can try to use the material in there. So this would be, for example, a very, very simple way to find an improvisation um, that does not seem to be too overwhelming. Because this is, this is something that many people in my experience have, have in mind, that improvisation is just open form and you can do whatever, which you can do, but improvisation needs a setting. It's like, for example, if I would say to you right now, focus, then you would say, yes, but on what? On what should I focus? So you need a certain frame it's mm -hmm. the same in improvisation i could now say improvise and you just do something but is it really improvised or is it just random stuff which could also be an improvisation but i think to have a really nice setting or frame for improvisation makes the whole topic much more approachable mm -hmm. for example what i um, am experiencing right now practicing a lot is the connection from head to pelvis and if i say the setting of my improv is to keep this constantly in my mind. How is my head connected to my pelvis? And then I already know basically what to do. And sometimes I lose thing because I focus on too many other things. I'm like, okay, remember, stop, stop, stop. Bring back my awareness to my specific improvisation. Mm -hmm. So um, this basically makes the whole idea of improv a little bit more approachable. You have a frame. And you try to stick to this frame. Sometimes you lose this frame again, then you come back and you can use um, certain ideas or elements that you have been practicing, but you can also practice in a free form. And this is what I differentiate then between a technical and a non-technical improvisation. In a technical improvisation, you can use techniques or certain patterns or forms that you have learned in the setting or the framework of improvisation. Or you say you try to let go of any moves techniques um also an idea that i was super inspired by tom um, and then you try to improvise with them so many 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 different options of improvisation and i think the interesting part of this as let's compare it to something like maybe just the physical skill development where it's demonstrable once you start getting it you're like yeah i can do that but with an improv at what point do you say, okay, like I've explored enough of, of this because maybe that connection with the pelvis and, and the head, that just could keep on going forever, right? So at what point do you start going, okay, like maybe there's another thing I want to work on or, or another thing I want to explore? 
I think you have to set up um, an end goal for yourself, basically, because like you said, you could endlessly explore certain things. So it's really about, and this is the, this is the, the most important part about like the whole practice. It's about you finding what you want to do and what you want to express with movement. So you decide how far you want to keep going in one, in one certain direction. Um, if you say, for example, the head pelvis connection, you decide how far you want to take it because there is no end and you can always come back to this always. Um, and this is also the nice thing about this, this practice that there it's, it's endless and you have to define for yourself. When are you good enough for yourself? When do you want to stop? When do you want to move on? Because nobody out there should ever tell you, you need to have this amount of uh, connection from here to there to be a good mover or whatever. I don't know if you're a dancer and you dance in a dance company and some people acquire this, then maybe this is true. But in general, we try to express ourselves through movement and you need to find for yourself how and how much do I want to continue the research? Mm. Um, so for me, it's um, sometimes I, I really have the feeling of I want to go further because I feel that for what I want to express, I'm not there yet. I'm not good enough yet. Um, so then I, I keep going and then on other days or other moments, I have the feeling of, okay, for now, this is good. I'm happy with this. I can move on and I can explore different things. Awesome. And now I want to cut across to maybe an exploration of like teaching mediums. I see, you know, we already went through a little bit about the online coaching before, and I see you're also doing some interesting online courses, which I think are an interesting topic. You've also done sem seminars before as well. Let's say if someone was to come to a, a seminar run by you as well, what would that kind of look like? Is it very, very physical? You're diving straight into it, or is there, uh, we've talked a lot about theory and concepts today. It, do you spend a large portion also talking about things and concepts, trying to get that across to people? You mean now the live seminars, right? Not yeah. online. Live seminars. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a combination of uh, the physical work, but then also the theoretical knowledge. For example, I make it a point that after certain exercises or drills or ideas, we come together and we, we, we reflect on this idea so that people actually have the potential to spark their own learning process and bring stuff into the seminar uh, so they can learn better and digest better. And then I also, depending on what topic I, I'm presenting in the seminar, in the workshop, um, I make sure to, to give not too much, but give information so they can put it also into context. And this also then depends on what I'm teaching. So right now, I'm, the seminars that I'm teaching are only the finding flow. So all of the, the stuff that is related to this topic. Back in the days, I was also teaching mobility seminars and there was some different knowledge and more knowledge, background information about how mobility works and everything. So it's always a, a mix of, of theory in a way and experience and then also put this into practice. Mm. And when you prepare for things like this, what do you think about in terms of like your preparation and, and your teaching methodology? Do you have certain things that run through your mind when you go, okay, like I really want to 
teach in this certain way or I want to make sure that I want to communicate in this certain way? Um, yes. I, I mean, in general, it's also a learning by doing kind of thing. I've been teaching for many years, also really teaching a lot of different workshops and seminars. So kind of I gather ideas and then, for example, I get certain feedback or I reflect on myself and say, okay, maybe I could dive a little deeper in, into this quality of teaching. So for the next workshop, I then try to go a little bit deeper here. And then also for me, teaching is a, it's a practice. It's a practice of mine. Uh, um, that I want to explore and I'm super curious about it. So I do not have one methodology that I use, but an explorative mindset to teaching as well. So sometimes I would, I would work a lot with touch and try to really be in, in physical touch with the people and show them certain things and act in a certain way. And sometimes I let go of this and only work with instructions or whatever. So um, I focus like in my, my physical practice also focus on the, teaching practice on different things and try to see what results I get. And the, the results I get also differ then from individual to individual. But I definitely do view teaching as a practice and therefore I also prepare for um, and reflect on um, my work there. And maybe if you could share what are maybe some things that you've recognized in reflection or, you know, some, some mistakes that you've found within your teaching where you've gone, okay, like maybe I can approach it in a different way. Yeah. Presenting too much um, because I'm so passionate and uh, so interested in what I'm doing. I could, if there is a student that is quite new to the practice, I could go like, look, there is these connections and you can find this and blah, blah, blah. And I need to stop myself. And, Back in the days when I was working, my teaching uh, days started basically working in this health-oriented um, gym that I also would present some of the students or some of the clients to too much material. And my boss basically back then, he told me, look, it's all good, but wait a little bit, be patient with what you share and everything. So this is something that I need to come back to over and over and over again. That's a really good reminder. Yeah. You can become so enthusiastic that you just want to share everything. Right. But I've certainly been on the receiving end sometimes where you're just standing there and you're trying to, you're trying to process everything and, and think through, through things. And then in the end, you're just like, okay, now what do I do? I can't remember anything. Mm, yeah. And then maybe one more important thing is that I would say I have the role of a teacher, but then what, what does it, really mean to teach something um, and I think it's not about you can't really teach stuff people can learn stuff so I, I can't teach you how to do a macaco in a way if we would go now in, in this direction I can show you stuff and, and, and give certain ideas and, and having a, opening up a framework for you in which you can learn and this is also something that I need to remind myself over and over again that it's more about trying make the learning process of the student accessible to him, show him all the things that he can do by himself. And I'm the guidance. Um, I facilitate this, this process in a way. Mm. And how have you found approaching constructing online courses? Like I find that an interesting area because then it's kind of like you're setting in stone, like this, these pieces of content, which, and people take away and it's less, 
I don't know if you find it this way, but interactive because in a seminar, you know, you can ask questions, people can talk back and then potentially you could modify slightly the direction of how you end up teaching the people based on like you can see their reactions. Right. But in a course, it's kind of one way you're like, you're, you're making a stand going, I'm going to teach it in this way. And you're not getting the feedback until maybe a lot later once someone does the course and then maybe you modify it then. So, you know, what's been your process in terms of one, I guess, finding a topic that you want to present as a, as a course and then constructing a course material. Mm -hmm. So um, basically the idea of constructing or creating these courses came super spontaneously. I think 2018, I created the first online program or course and it was super spontaneous. And since then I've created many of them and kind of noticed that they can really work and they, they can be super, super great potentially. Now, just like you said, um, it's a very different process than teaching life, um, but it also has its benefits. And basically what I always try to tell people when they want to engage in online work and especially with the courses, which is not the, the online coaching, um, that for some people it simply doesn't work because you have videos and everything and you have to practice by yourself. And some people simply can't, um, can't, can't practice in this way. Some other people, me included, I really can work with online work because I, I know how to practice. So if I am presented with material online, I can look at it, I can read it, I can watch it, and then I can put it into practice. So I can, I, I can deal with that. So this is something that people need to be aware of, that it can work, but it, uh, it doesn't have to. And that also the work that you are doing with an online program is obviously much different than when working with a coach. It's more like in a way, reading a book, you open the book and you read and then you, you need to practice or digest the information by yourself. And this is also the intention of the courses. It's not a, a coaching or anything. It's there is material being presented and I try to present it in such a way that you can really learn it and digest it, but then you need to digest it for yourself. And this is not, I also try to make it a point that people should not view the online courses as a mean for them to practice. So I, I don't want to people that rely on all those courses for all the time. It's like a snack. You, you can purchase it, you can look at it, you can digest it, and then you can go on with your own practice and use this information in your own practice. So this is like the, this is something like my, my ethics regarding this work that I, I try to, make it a point because I do not create online courses so I can sell them and people do whatever what they want to do with them. And I just get the money and say adios or something like this. This is not the way that I want to work with them. And then also, which is quite interesting where I found that those online courses, because they are quite low commitment, people can purchase them and do them by themselves. They act as a very, very, very nice way into working with somebody. So right now I have these online courses, people can engage in them. And if they like it, then they can say, okay, that's cool. Maybe I go to a workshop. Maybe I, I take the online support or whatever, or I, I leave it like this and this is fine. And it's a, it's a super, super good um, way. Yeah. 
I like this terminology that you use, like a snack. You know, it's like a snack of this area, but not only of this area, but a snack of of nil. You know, I get a little taste mm. of what you're all about. <laughs> yeah, you, you could say it like that. <laughs> so, what gives you the greatest joy in teaching? You know, why did you choose to become a teacher and not just a practitioner? Um, so, different things. Number one, the feeling of being able to help other people is great. Uh, not only in teaching, but in life general. I think because we're so social, so social beings, um, helping other people and receiving help is, is so fundamental. And the joy of being able to, to share my knowledge and help other people um, is great. Then also the, um, the, the aspect of when I teach certain things, I learn them better. So I understand them better. So this is also why I like teaching. Then also something um, very important to mention, because I'm reflective about the whole aspect of teaching, many people, me included, I've been also using teaching as a way to kind of boost my ego. I can help you. I can show you stuff. And uh, this puts me in a position of, you know, I know this stuff, which kind of is an ego stroke. And I try to be aware of this as well and try to, to make sure that this part, although it probably will always be there i assume in a in a certain extent try to reduce it to the minimum so this is something also that mm. i want to bring up that obviously also aspects like these play a role in why i like teaching um, but minor <laughs> um, <laughs> you know in yeah. your reflective work do you always ask like a particular type of question that gets you to start reflecting in a certain way or is it just a general you know reflection yeah i would say it's more a reflective mindset so being open to reflect for reflecting um and no specific questions for example my good friend will brown i think he also was on your podcast right he has a <laughs> also very good reflective practice and he uh he he practices very different than me for example he has i think certain questions and writes them down and everything and it works super, super nice for him. I, I do it a little differently. Also, like my whole practice is, is very loose and dynamic in a way. So also my reflective practice is, mm. um, yeah. It's funny like that. I think when it kind of is all throughout all your actions, as you said, like in your practice physically, but then also as you are with say this reflective practices, it's all quite consistent with these these traits, which you've come to realize is kind of, authentic to yourself mm, definitely yeah <laughs> that being said um i i also try to make it a point just because this is what i am does not mean that this is the best way to do it or also the best way for me so i also make make it a point to to try to push my my game a little bit and learn from other people and maybe try writing stuff down uh, and structuring it in mm. a way because obviously you can benefit from this greatly and so upcoming what have you got planned like we you mentioned before you've got like a number of all these projects that you're excited about working on but maybe in this upcoming year as we're sort of still what just on the brink of the end of january what have you got planned coming out for this year um i hope workshops and intensives um, obviously with the whole situation we do not know at all but definitely I, I want to connect with people again, uh, teach workshops and invite people who have been working with to intensive workshops and 
finding this connection because this is this is so beautiful and awesome and i i, I really really love it so i hope this this is something that i can push this year again mm-hmm. um i also originally had the plan to host an intensive year in portugal which is now um i think it won't happen but let's see maybe um so this in terms of the whole online uh, offline stuff and then with online stuff i have courses planned i have um, new projects planned that i will put into practice refining the whole code process something that i have in mind and that is being worked on right now which could be interesting for some people out there is um, a one-year finding flow tuition in a way mm-hmm. where there's like a structure from start to finish what you can learn what you maybe will learn um, and create a one-year guidance where people like can fully engage in this certain practice uh the practice of finding flow um which they can later all the knowledge can also then apply to 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 other disciplines so this is something that i'm excited about that sounds awesome that you've got such a width of different things coming and offering to to all the people out there. And I really do hope that this year, you know, things opened up that you can interact with other people, do the partner work, touch other people as well. You know, I think that's going to be a really necessary thing to try and help people bridge because, you know, I can already feel that maybe there might be a little bit of resistance there. So I think that's some important work that we can be helping with the community when it's all ready to open up once back again yeah definitely (laughs) well i'm really appreciative of your time today neil and maybe just to cap it off if anyone wanted to get in touch with you and uh you know find out all about you know your work as well send you a message what's the best way i mean either uh, on my website i think this would be the best way because there is everything listed in a nice way um it's neilteisner.de slash en there's a german and an english version of the website and you can simply scroll through there there's the newsletter and then there's also like the contact formula and then also obviously on instagram i'm quite active show snippets of my practice um so you can also contact me there Awesome. Well, I'm really appreciative once again of you jumping on the podcast, sharing, you know, all all what you're about and a bit of the backstory. I really enjoyed that portion of our chat and yeah, I hope that you just enjoy your time in Portugal at the moment. I can't wait to see all your updates as you progress, you know, with your practice, with your work, with your life as well. And hope that we stay in touch. Hope that you come to Australia one day as well to maybe do an intensive or a seminar. It is in the back of my head, yes. And thank you so much for inviting me here. It was, it was a joy talking to you, really. That's it for today, guys. That's episode 43. Thanks very much to Neil for jumping on the podcast. He was a pleasure to talk to, just really easygoing guy. I could really see and feel the joy that was residing from him, which I think was a result of him being in the place that he is in now, but also the real striving of pursuit to what was true for him. And I'm really inspired by how he was able to, or how he shared about how he was able to let go of certain things within his practice, which he recognized was not serving him anymore. I think that was a really powerful reminder. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Thanks once again for staying around all the way to the very end. I really appreciate it. Once again, 
If you have any questions, want to get in touch, please, you can find me over at the Active Hang, which is on thepassivehang.com. Otherwise, on Instagram, that's at P at P-H-A-O-N-P. Also, it always helps to share this podcast around. So if you enjoy it, share and click on that button, whatever it is, so that it shares it onto your profile. It really helps me get this out to more listeners. That's it for today. We're going to be back with more episodes. I'll see you in the next one.